to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to start off with this just very briefly. One of the things that I always find interesting, again, has to do with the current frame of mind of American youth and what they're talking about and the different approaches that they take, in particular to past events even events that maybe they weren't alive for and i want to use and i want to use 911 as an example because again much of america's youth of course was not alive for that let alone conscious or paying attention to it maybe toddlers but if if not of course even born but given the amount of information that exists today and the amount of social media and the amount of videos and the amount of truth that is out there about what really went on on that day, it's frankly unavoidable for even in a classroom setting for a student to potentially not question their teacher if they were to bring up 9-11. Because we know that a lot of educators would use this opportunity to basically say, well, I was alive then, and here's what happened, and uh, this is exactly what took place. And then all they're doing, potentially, is just repeating the same old fake narrative about what went on on that particular day. Again, the evidence is overwhelming, and I have, an, I have a video on my BitChute channel, American Education FM, that lays it out in 40-some-odd minutes, and it lays it out perfectly. And there are endless videos on BitChute uh, all about 9-11. There were no planes on 9-11. The only plane anybody saw was a CGI'd plane hit the second tower. Again, wasn't even there, didn't happen. And then, uh, the Pentagon thing was its own fiasco. No plane parts anywhere. All the explosives were on the inside. Looks like a missile hit it based on some security footage that, that we've seen and that exists and that's out there. Certainly not a plane. And then in Pennsylvania, very similar, very similar experience. Uh, a pre-existing hole in the ground in a giant field. And then eyewitness accounts of a missile or a drone flying over top of individuals' automobiles and then crashing into this, this hole in the ground that was already there. In fact, Google Maps proves that the hole was already in the ground and had been for quite some time. And then all of the fake stories and the media stories and whatever. My question continues to be, and we know, of course, that it was a Mossad operation. That's beyond evident also. It had nothing to do with Islamic terrorists flying airplanes for which they were incapable of flying. I mean, it's preposterous. Uh, and then, of course, all the movie rollouts. See, that too is a big deal. You had to have all the movies associated with it because that hardens the entire false narrative in the minds of people. The question that I have from an education standpoint and a K-12 university standpoint is how many students are thinking about what really went on that day, investigating it, finding the truth, and then bringing that to their actual teachers. In particular, in the middle of, of class, basically, or the middle of a lecture where, again, the professor or teacher is basically trying to relive the old days and tell everybody what, what it was like to live through 9-11. What kind of conflict is going to exist um, within that classroom based on this subject and this subject alone? I, I think that's interesting. And, and I wonder, 
Again, these are the kinds of cell phone videos I'd love to see. I would love to see more knowledgeable students taping themselves challenging their teachers and professors who happen to believe a false narrative about what went on. And again, it doesn't even have to just be with 9-11. Challenge them on anything. But if you don't, and you know that you're right as a student and your teacher is wrong, then the teacher's never going to learn if you don't bring it up. And you could even bring it up politely before or even after class. Say, Mr. Miss So-and-so, I know that you were, you were mentioning this about this particular event. Again, we'll use 9-11 as an example. And then you look at them and you say, have you ever seen this documentary? And you give them a copy of it or you show it to, to them on your cell phone as a student. And maybe you can wake that person up just a little bit. You could even look at them and say, hey, look, I didn't want to create a conflict in the middle of class when you were talking. I didn't want to raise my hand and challenge your opinion on this. But as it turns out, you might be incorrect as to what happened that day, and I would encourage you to watch this. And then maybe they would. Maybe they would even be appreciative of the fact that you as a student didn't challenge them and try to embarrass them in the middle of class. Maybe they would be more receptive to the fact that you came up to them at the end of class, waited until the end of class to share them, you know, to share something basically with them that, uh, that counters the, the current story or the current narrative that they believe. So the existence of that entire phenomenon is something that always fascinates me. And I wish it was something that happened uh, more frequently. And I'm sure it does happen with some regularity, but catching it on, on cell phone video or even recording the interaction between a teacher and a student or a student and a teacher back and forth, regardless of who starts the conversation, I think is remarkably important. And again, would the, would the teacher engage in total cognitive dissonance and run away from the subject? I mean, I don't know. It would depend on the person. But I just think that that's interesting, and I, and I just think that that's one of those things that should happen with more frequency, and I hope that it does happen with more frequency, because, again, we cannot repeat these false stories that are perpetuated by a media that we know has been lying to us this entire time about everything, frankly, dating back to the invention of the radio, let alone the television, let alone everything else that exists. But now. Again, the technology is so overwhelming that a person basically has to physically not want to find the truth. They have to physically say to themselves, I don't want to find the truth. I don't want to know about the truth. I'm not going to look this up. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to do that. That's, that's where that person's mind has to be in this day and age with, again, all of the tools that we have around us to actually figure out the truth about a great many things. Because once you go down one rabbit hole, as many of you know, that's not the only one you end up going down. And again, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, I've always thought to myself that it's your responsibility as a parent to tell your children the truth about what went on that day and even sit down with them and show them these videos. Because keep in mind, as the parent, you're the ultimate teacher. There's God, there's you, and then there's everybody else. And that's about it. So there's a massive responsibility, again, among parents to educate their children and then perhaps even ask their children to challenge their educators. 
because you as a parent probably know more than your educator does about a number of subjects. So why not educate your child on these subjects? Educate yourself first, of course, and be open to that. And then educate your child on it. And then maybe your child can educate your teacher. I just feel like that's one of the only ways forward here. I just feel like um, we have to we have to put a kink in the hose, so to speak. We have to change the path. We have to redirect the stream into another dimension where individuals are thinking individually. And of course, we know that that's getting harder and harder to do with some of these technological implementations that are taking place, in particular within school. As you've heard me say on this show a million times, school districts will openly keep BitChute and even certain channels on YouTube, certainly even a long time ago, back when YouTube didn't change their algorithm and had nothing but truth videos all over it, they would ban YouTube. Now YouTube gets used a lot within classroom instruction. Why? Because they've completely changed the algorithm, and now they know that most of those truth videos are completely banned on YouTube. But again, how many of them know about BitChute, Rumble, Telegram, Gab, and all these other outlets, where on these very days and these very anniversaries of, of these historic events, where again, we were lied to by the media, how many of them think to go to those sites and start looking and watching and reading and listening, more importantly, listening and thinking about what actually went on? Because you can't have that many sites all lying at the exact same time. There's more truth out there than there are lies these days. But that's just my, that's my two cents on the whole issue. I always find the phenomenon interesting regarding what students know, what American youth knows, and then are they willing and do they have the courage to bring that truth to less knowledgeable adults? Because if you're anything like me, and you were to challenge a teacher back in the day, you'd get thrown out of class. You'd be given detention or a thousand other things. And I did it once or twice. And then I realized that this entire apparatus isn't open to learning new things. I mean, the teacher at the front of the room is the person who knows everything. So they think. So that's my two cents on that. You know, the old hashtag never forget. Well, yeah. That certainly depends, doesn't it? Depending on your point of view and how much you know about 9-11 and events like that. So, moving on, who wants to hear more about the uh, American K-12 collapse as it continues to unfold? And it does continue to unfold. This first particular story here from Breitbart, and it is titled, and it is hilarious, Teachers' Union shuts down Seattle schools amid worse learning loss in 30 years. This is great. It's, <laughs> I love this. It says the Seattle Education Association shut down public schools for the first day of classes just one week after the U.S. Department of Education announced the worst learning loss seen in the United States in 30 years. After a vote in which 95% of unionized teachers chose to strike, 
Seattle Public Schools was forced to close its doors until the teachers' union is ready to send teachers back to work. Says the union bragged about keeping children out of schools on Twitter, attempting to make the argument that it is about meeting students' needs as opposed to the union's needs. And then, of course, they're making up a bunch of signs that say on strike, uh, multilingual education matters, fair contracts now, blah, 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 blah. It's all about money. But they use children as the scapegoat to receive more money. It's an old education yarn that continues to just get rolled out and used every single time that these individuals are publicly failing themselves and everybody around them. And then they say, well, it's because we don't have enough money. That's never the case. In fact, I have another excellent clip from New Mexico that proves that they still think throwing money at this is going to solve it, even from these so-called conservative Republicans. It's ridiculous. The article continues, however, and it says, at issue was teacher salary as well as staffing ratios for multilingual students in special education. While they argue they support students, of course they do, teachers, because, you know, they were abusing them this entire time with masks and face shields and spraying them in the eyes with disinfectant, but, you know, whatever. It says teacher strikes typically end up harming students in the process of negotiations with the school district. Seattle Public Schools is the largest school district in Washington state. Quote, while we are disappointed with Seattle Education Association's SEA's authorization to strike, we remain committed to negotiating a new contract with our educators, the school district said in a statement. In February, again, it's... Uh, it's ridiculous. It's the same it's the same public statement they make regardless of the state, regardless of the striking, it's the same thing. We all want to work together for the students and the betterment of education. It's embarrassing. Uh they continue here and it says in February the school district announced dismissal education numbers in which only 54% of 4th graders and 51% of 8th graders met or exceeded standards while fewer than 50% of 11th graders met those standards. Hmm. Could be the teachers are just stupid. What do you think? Could be that the curriculum is and has always been a lie. And it's very difficult to remember lies and memorize lies. Pretty hard to do that. Pretty hard to succeed when you're not teaching the truth, let alone telling it, and they're not reading it. And then, of course, if you stifle the truth, as I said earlier, what happens to you? This continues and almost wraps up, and it says the district saw closures which the coronavirus pandemic, which were draconian and harmful to students, many of which were pushed and elongated by teachers' unions. Yes, except it wasn't a pandemic, because there wasn't one. It says as Bright News, uh, Breitbart News rather reported, President Joe Biden's Department of Education admitted that the primary reason for learning loss was keeping children out of the classrooms. No. No, that's not true either. It says Tiffany Smiley, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate, taking on longtime Senator Patty Murray, Democrat out of Washington state. She's an abomination, by the way. Former school board member, too. 
and she wrings that uh, she wrings that washcloth dry every single time she can. I was a school board member. I sit on the education committee. That doesn't mean anything. You're a moron. <laughs> That's all. You're a moron. Uh, she released a statement. This Tiffany Smiley, the Republican running against Murray, and slammed the coronavirus lockdowns and the teachers' union decision to keep them closed as the new school year was set to begin. Smiley said in a statement, quote, Students across Washington and the country have fallen behind in their education as teachers' unions force schools to remain closed for far too long during the pandemic. Despite scientific evidence that showed kids are far less susceptible to COVID-19 doesn't exist. There's just shedding from poison. These politicians, ladies and gentlemen, are not going to help us. They're not here to help us. She continued and said, newly released data shows that students' reading and math test scores have fallen sharply since 2020, when schools were shut down and our children had to rely on remote and distance learning. See, that's still the dependence of government. These Republicans that are running against these Democrats are, are not conservative in the slightest. These are still people that believe that government is the only way. Children had to rely on remote and distance learning. Oh God, they're by themselves. They're incapable of learning by themselves, let alone around their families. What are we to do? And then they just ramp up the government narrative all over again. It continued, they did anyway, and said, quote, while I agree teachers need to be paid more and our education system needs massive reforms, now is not the time to keep students out of the classroom, she continued. Unlike my opponent, Patty Murray, who refuses to admit it was a mistake to keep students out of the classroom for so long during the pandemic, there was no pandemic, I will always stand with Washington families and our students who deserve the best possible education we can provide. Uh, Murray's lead over Smiley recently dipped below 3%. Whatever. These are two morons running against each other, and neither one of them has the solution. Speaking of politicians who don't have the solution, listen to this. This audio was sent to me by Cicely from New Mexico because they've got a politician out there who has his head totally in his backside. Uh, Mark Ronchetti, if I'm saying that right, or Ronchetti, something like that, Republican nominee for governor, has a plan, ladies and gentlemen, to save education in the state of New Mexico, which is typically at the bottom of education statistics in the entire country. Give this a listen. Okay, we recently learned our kids may have fallen behind more than we realized during the pandemic. New test scores show just how few of them are proficient in basic but very important subjects. It's no secret as well, our state's education system has been at or near the very bottom nationally for far too long. And education could very well be the priority for some of you when it comes time to elect our new governor in just a few months. Republican nominee Mark Ronchetti unveiled his education plan today. Tamara Lopez looked into that. So Tamara, uh, give us a breakdown, if you will. 
Ronchetti says he has an eight-point plan to get New Mexico back on track with our education system. It would involve redirecting money, including giving some to families to help pay for tutoring. We've gone over the past four years from 49th, which many of us thought it couldn't get worse, to now 51st. Now that they count Washington, D.C. That 51st ranking Republican governor candidate Mark Ronchetti is citing comes from a 2021 WalletHub survey, putting New Mexico's education system dead last nationally. Over the years, we've reported our education ranking has been at or near bottom, according to various surveys and research. Ron Ketty released his proposed education plan Tuesday, just days after the State Department of Education released startling standardized test results showing very few of our students are proficient in English, language arts, and math. Number one right out of the chute, young kids, first through third grade. We're going to set them up with a $1,500 stipend to catch them up with additional tutoring right away. Sit down with teachers of their own. We can pay the teachers to do this. Ron Ketty claims that pitch would benefit 60,000 kids and the $1,500 stipend would be in place for three years totaling more than a hundred million dollars. Speaking of money, Ron Ketty says he wants to redirect our education funding. Number two. You guys have all heard about the COVID dollars that have come into the state of New Mexico. Those COVID dollars should be spent in the classroom, not in administration, because that's what's happening right now. So we want to require school districts to put those funds into the classroom. And that will take a change in the law, and we have to push that. While Ronchetti says this is what he would need to implement if elected in November, New Mexico Democrats claim his ideas are nothing new. Well, a plan like that is already in place. Uh, we have multiple plans. Uh, he basically probably looked at what we're doing and said, oh, let's do this. <laughs> because a lot of the plans to catch kids up are already in place. So, Tamara, you also reached out to the Lujan Grisham campaign. I mean, what are her reps saying? Tessa, a spokesperson for the campaign, called Ronchetti's plan a dangerous scheme, saying in part it would disadvantage New Mexico's most vulnerable students, especially rural and native students, and drain funding from public schools by allowing wealthy parents to use taxpayer dollars to send their kids to private schools in cities with no oversight or accountability for how tax dollars are spent. And Tessa will highlight the response from the Democratic Party of New Mexico tonight at 6. All right, we'll check back with you then, Tamara. Thanks so much. I've heard some dumb things in my day. I think we all have, have we not? That takes the taco. Because what both of them were saying on both sides of the so-called political aisle, which again, let's not kid ourselves, they're the same aisle. They're the same aisle. They just have different names, different colors, different initials around their name. Two heads of the same snake. Who in their right mind believes that if you give $1,500 to a family of a student three years in a row, that they're going to spend that money on education? And then, of course, how are they going to keep track of that? It's impossible. And then you heard him say, and this is the kicker, that, well, we really need to push that because some laws need to be changed, but that's what we need to push. These are false promises, and the promises, if they were to even come true, won't fix a damn thing. It won't fix anything. You have school teachers 
spending their time, more time, I should say, making up signs, describing how they're going to go on strike and they're going to do this and they're going to do that and complaining about teacher pay and this, that, and the other all over the United States. Instead of redirecting that energy, all that effort into actually learning the truth about their own subject matter. See, this is what happens when you lie generation after generation after generation and you believe these lies. You fail. You ultimately fail. Because again, even in this financial situation, which again, the fact that they're throwing money at the problem and they think that that's going to fix it should tell you all you need to know. But when this politician, this so-called conservative guy, actually says that more money needs to be redirected into the classroom, what does that actually mean? What does that mean? Well, it needs to go into curriculum and teachers need to get it. It needs to be money that teachers can spend on To do what? To do what? To perpetuate the same old lies from previous years, decades, and generations? Much like the medical industry, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about what you know. It's about what fallacy you memorize best and the fastest. Who has the ability to memorize the most lies? Those are the individuals who are the valedictorians. Those are the individuals who have all the medical degrees, by and large. Those are the people that are pushing all the drugs that are killing people, and those are the people that are teaching America's youth. They're just people that believe lies. You've heard me use the word cult in the past. That's what it is. These solutions, quote-unquote, that they have are equally as cultish. Because what educator, again, in their right mind would be standing behind this politician from the so-called right, which they are standing behind him, with his signs, with his name on it, going, yeah, we support that. We're conservative educators, and, and we're holding his sign, and he wants us to have more money so that we can do what we need to do. Well, what does that mean? What are you going to do with it? Where is it going to go? These are not solutions. They just aren't. They're already broke as a state. Many states are broke. I have to assume, anyway, that New Mexico is, is broke. It's run by Democrats. And again, if you have Democrats saying that this Republican guy has the exact same plan that they do, well, then that means you're both wrong. <laughs> it just means they're both wrong. So it's embarrassing. It's, it just continues to be embarrassing because, again, if, if they believe that throwing money at all of this is going to be the thing that saves anything, it is. It, it's just not. Now, here's one example I might add, and this, again, same vein. And isn't it ironic that this is the exact cost that they mention? But this comes from the Daily Mail, and it says, speech therapist reveals she's been inundated with wave of COVID babies, quote-unquote, who can barely speak because of pandemic shutdowns. And parents are paying up to $1,000 a month to repair the damage. Again, we are talking about what was the largest one of, there have been many, as, as you know, but one of the largest brainwashing operations that's ever existed in the history of man over the last two and a half years. 
one of the largest. We, of course, have survived. Those of us that are probably listening to this show, we survived. We dodged all the lies. We knew they were lies. We didn't believe a word of it. We lived our lives normally around the rest of the brain dead, masked up, triple-jabbed goons. And we continue to be the normals in society. But this right here, $1,000 a month to repair the damage by implementing speech therapy, what were these parents doing? Not having conversations with their children? Making them wear a mask at home while they sleep? You have to assume that's a possibility. Because again, if the mind can conceive it, it's possible it happened. You know that there were parents that did that. You know that there were parents that told their children to wear a mask when they slept at night. (laughs) My God. My God. Now, here here are the bullet points to this article. It says the following, quote, The phenomenon, speech pathologist Nancy Polo, or Palo, says, is part of a concerning trend in kids born during or shortly before the pandemic. Compounding the crisis when parents sought help, they were met with lockdown-related roadblocks such as mask restrictions and telehealth meetings. Now the restrictions have lessened, Polo says, Paolo says. Parents are scrambling to address these failures, signing up for pricey speech therapy sessions. A growing body of academic research also supports Polo's, Paolo, I don't know how you say her name, uh, claim that children born over the past three or so, so years possessing weaker verbal skills. Again, this shows the parents' unwillingness to understand that they are the ultimate instructor. This is, again, a perfect example of what happens when parents just hand their children over to government. Here you go, government. You be the parent. You tell my child what to do. And then tell me what to do because I'm a moron. I gave birth to these children, but I know nothing. I've spent all of this time just wandering around like an aimless zombie, and I have no idea what to do with this thing that has two arms, two legs, and a brain. Only the teacher in government can tell me what to possibly do. It's so sad. It's just so sad. And speech pathology is going to be the least of these children's and families' problems going forward. It'll be the least of their worries. Because what society has just shown these children is that wearing a mask is the thing that you should do when there's illness being talked about on TV. Same thing with the radio. Same thing. Wear a mask. It's that time of season again to mask up. Ladies and gentlemen, I drove past a guy the other day 84 degrees outside, sunny, windows rolled up in his car, by himself, two masks, not one, no, 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 two, two N95 masks on top of one another, and I could tell because there were different colors, 
and I was right next to the guy. And I did that slow head turn that you do, you know, when you're trying to look at the car next to you and the and the person next to you and you're you know, you don't want to you don't want them to catch you looking right at you, but <laughs> or you looking right at them. But I'm staring right at the guy and I'm going, he's got four strings around one of his ears. That's got to be two masks, at least. He might even have a ball gag in there. I mean, who's to know these days? But it's just nuts. This kind of stuff is not getting better. I'm glad, again, some people are waking up. But who is waking up exactly? What kinds of people are waking up? Because the people like us who have already been awake to all of this nonsense, well, we were already here. So are people starting to wake up who were double-jabbed? As it turns out, yeah, that's the case. Double-jabbed, triple-jabbed, and sick people are starting to wake up to some extent. So let me give you one quick example. There's a Canadian who's made some videos, and uh, he's put these out on TikTok where he openly apologized to the people who are unjabbed. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm absolutely sorry. I saw the trucker convoys. I was already jabbed. That's when I started to learn that all of this was a giant mistake. All I did was give in to government. All I did was exactly what government wanted me to do. And I'm sorry. And he apologizes. And more people are watching his video and they're starting to do the same thing. They're just starting to apologize to all of the people that they didn't listen to who were trying to tell them, you don't have to wear a mask, don't take these shots, don't wear a mask, period, but don't take these shots, don't do this, don't do that. Again, where are the educators in all of this? As you've heard me say in the past, where are all those science and health educators? Where are all those anatomy and physiology educators who are awake and actually know what's really going on? that there was no pandemic, that there are no viruses. Where are these people? Where are they? Do they even exist? I don't know. I just don't know. But at least some people are waking up. It's too late for them right now. But at least they're, uh, you know, some of them are remorseful, which is fine. We're not looking for apologies. We're not even looking to look people in the face and say, I told you so. I mean, that's not even it. It's that I think that we just want people to think for themselves. Because not thinking for yourself and not doing your own in-depth research is not a life-saving characteristic. So, continuing with the school shenanigans and leaning toward the COVID nonsense, this was from Just the News, and it's titled, Michigan Schools Use One-Time COVID Relief for Pay Increases. Desperation is what I smell. This is desperation. And they have to do this because normally they were saying, well, the CARES Act money and the ESSER funds are not for, for you know teacher pay increases. That's not what it's for. We can't use it for that. But leave it to Michigan to say, well... Our schools are closing, and we know that students aren't coming back to these institutions, uh, K-12, private, charter, and otherwise. So just this one time, 
We'll take some of that money that we were going to put in our own pockets as school board members and administrators and whatever, and we'll give it to the school teachers, and that will temporarily fix or ease their minds. Ladies and gentlemen, I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday when I taught school and people would say, we're getting a pay increase. I didn't get excited because it wasn't much and it didn't matter. I knew it was just a carrot being dangled in front of the normies and they would bite and say, well, yeah, it's about time. You know, when you get hired as a school teacher, you're hired under the premise that you're going, that with every passing year, you're going to somehow make it, you know, make your way up a pay scale of some kind. And with every passing year, you're just going to be making more money. When was the last time that came true? When was the last time that happened? Now they've got to siphon this money laundering operation and some of, uh, some of these uh, dollars that they don't have right back into the pockets of school teachers temporarily just to uh, satisfy someone. I mean, it's only satisfying the asleep. That's all. It's satisfying the asleep and the people who are only interested in money. They're not interested in the truth or the fact that they're being abused and manipulated. It has nothing to do with that. But this article starts off and it says the following. It says, many Michigan schools are spending one-time federal COVID relief on pay increases that will augment the long-term taxpayer cost of education, according to more than 80 records requests filed by the Center Square. So what they're already doing here is admitting that this is a short-term fix for a larger problem before they start taxing people in the surrounding areas by raising their property taxes through school levies, where again, more money is going to be siphoned out of the home and, out, and away from the family. It's an open admission that that's what this is. They continue, and it says more than 800 districts are spending $5.7 billion of COVID-19 relief to recover learning loss detailed by dismal state test scores in a federal report that noted the most significant learning loss in decades. It says Holly Wetzel, the director of public relations for the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, urged schools to spend the money to recover learning loss instead of increasing long-term spending. Quote, school districts should consider the long-term impacts of how the COVID relief funds are being spent, Wetzel said in a statement. Quote, when districts decide to use a one-time relief payment, for something that will have a long-term cost, they must be prepared for a financial strain that their future budgets may not be equipped for. Instead, these funds would be better spent helping the thousands of students who suffered learning losses caused by the forced school closures, unquote. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? It means nothing. We need to throw money at learning losses, and that's what needs to happen. N no. That doesn't fix anything because you have no plan. You cannot, you cannot recover from time lost where a person wasn't learning. You might, ha you might as well have been sticking a child in a dark closet by themselves, not talking to them, 
and they've been quite literally kidnapped or isolated, where they are away from anyone in public. Conversations, media, books, the ability to write, whatever it may be, whatever it is. All of this is a giant money laundering scheme that is continuing to be played out by both political sides. And they have no plan because there isn't a plan because there can't be a plan. There can't be a plan for throwing money at trying to recover some alleged learning loss. Uh, None of it makes sense because it just doesn't make sense. It continues and it says the Detroit Public Community Schools District credited its few teaching vacancies to using COVID-19 funds to hire a teacher bench to compensate for retirement and resignations, as well as raising pay. Quote, unlike other districts, we are not experiencing teacher staffing issues, said the DPSCD superintendent, Nikolai Vidi. Quote, the district has only a few schools with more than one teacher vacancy and only about 30 teacher vacancies district-wide due to last-minute resignations. This is due to our increase to teacher salaries over the years and the development of our own teacher pipeline. Our staffing challenges rest with hourly employees, mainly cafeteria workers. However, these vacancies will not impact the serving of student breakfast and lunch at each of our schools. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. Who would believe the superintendent of Detroit City Schools on anything? (laughs) I mean, geography alone would imply that there's no way they're telling the truth. It's Detroit. They say that their average teacher's salary is $8,000 higher than the average teacher's salary in Michigan of $64,262, according to a National Education Association report. In 2017, the DPSCD said it had over 400 teacher vacancies, or 12% of schools were fully staffed, but says every school will be fully staffed with teachers this year. Isn't that hilarious how they always say that, too? They always say that they don't have teacher staffing shortages or staffing issues. They don't have money issues. And then sometime during the summer or right before the end of the school year, they'll say that they have issues. But then right when school starts in the fall, they go, no, we don't have any issues anymore. They just disappeared. They just magically found human beings to inhabit all of these teaching positions. Do you know what that means? It means that they're hiring people who aren't qualified to teach anything. They're just look they're just hiring bodies. They're driving along the road and they're going, "Hey, that's a well-dressed body. Let's let's scoop them up, throw them in our van, and we'll drive them and as we're driving them to the school district office, what we'll do is is we'll we'll basically tell them what we're offering them. And if they deny it, we'll kick them out of the van." But if they take it, well, then, you know, we'll fill the vacancy in the meantime. What they're not telling you, and they won't tell you, is the constant turnover rate that happens throughout the entire year. Don't even get me started on the jabs, (laughs) because 
that has its own element, which we have yet to fully see in action nationwide, which we're going to see again more publicly this school year. It happened last school year. Again, you had teachers leaving because of the jabs. Sick, dead, couldn't find subs, you name it, I've covered it here already. That's going to get worse. But they never want to tell you that, and they're not going to tell you that. A spokeswoman for the district, Crystal Wilson, said staffed teachers and family engagement are together, quote, the most important factor in raising student achievement. Our schools are also spending COVID funds hiring additional staff and learning specialists, but it's unclear whether the spending is temporary or long-term. If you don't have staffing problems, why are you using CARES Act money to hire people? I thought you didn't have staffing problems. Weird. It's almost like you're lying. (laughs) It's almost like they're just lying. For example, Saginaw Public School District plans to spend $44 million of its $64 million of COVID relief on reclassifying teachers. Benton Harbor Area Schools spent $2.5 million on pay increases for elementary, middle, and high school teachers who taught during the pandemic. The ongoing spending increase, increase follows the school district nearly shuttering in 2019. But thanks to nearly $47 million in COVID-19 relief, BHAS flipped its $18 million debt in 2019 to a $3.1 million surplus. And $3.1 million, ladies and gentlemen, in a school district is next to nothing. That money will be gone in a heartbeat. It continues, and it says Dearborn Public Schools is spending $9.7 million on COVID-19 money, of COVID-19 money, rather, on a permanent pay schedule increase. What are you going to do when that money runs out? That's right. Tax the property owners. Tax everybody in the district who has a beating heart. They continue, and they say, in conclusion, This increased pay schedule will later need to be funded through general fund dollars, unquote, a DPS spending breakdown says. Translation, we're going to tax the living hell out of you as soon as this money runs out, and it'll run out real quick, like the next nine months. Which, of course, now leads us to the jabs. And the whole jab situation, because a lot of that money that they claim they have a surplus of is going to be used on substitute teachers, because the jabs, that's all. It's because of the jabbed. The teachers, administrators who all got jabbed, and them becoming very, very ill and dying throughout the coming years. This is also why, and they don't know it, they, I mean, they really don't know it, but you've heard me bring this up again, their own self-described quote-unquote teacher pipeline that they're creating. They're creating it because they know that less and less students of young age are entering teacher education programs. They have to have their own pseudo-pipeline, so to speak. Not to mention, it's, it's not a good visual. 
I mean, let's use a different word than a pipe, okay? <laughs> if you're pulling these people out of a metaphorical pipe, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, they belong around children, let alone perhaps society as a whole. Uh, how clean are they? How knowledgeable are they? You get what I'm saying. So just a little PR tip, I would uh, get away from the use of the word pipeline. I mean, you might as well say sewage tank. It's kind of the same thing. Either way, they know that uh, they're not getting them from teacher education departments because less and less people want to be teachers and teacher education departments are failing in their enrollment. That's a thing. That's continuing to happen. So I don't know where they think they're going to fix this in the short and or long term, financially speaking. And I know that I've talked a lot about finances here in this particular episode, and it needs to be brought up because you're talking about the largest waste of money that we've all watched in the entire history of American education. What's taken place over the last two years is the largest money laundering operation in the history of American education. And of course, speaking of money laundering, it's jab time, ladies and gentlemen. So here's the latest from the jab avenue. Let me start off with this audio from the most recent episode of The Five Docs. Dr. Larry Pilevsky hits it out of the park. Dr. Larry Pilevsky knows that viruses are not real, that there is only poison. You've heard me, of course, bring that up on numerous occasions. I'll keep mentioning that. There's no such thing as the flu. There's no such thing as quote-unquote COVID. These are just poisons that are concocted, tossed into a syringe, and then the public is tricked into taking them, and then they get sick and they wonder why. That's all. It's quite literally that simple. Here is audio of Dr. Larry Pilevsky basically saying just that in the most recent episode of The Five Docs on the Critically Thinking channel on Rumble. And you're going to hear him talk first, but then you're going to hear Dr. Tenpenny, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. And I want to play her audio too, because this back and forth that they have, I think highlights a massive problem in the entire scheme here. You have individuals like Tenpenny who are repeating the false narrative of viruses, strains, variants, all of it. And Dr. Larry Pilevsky knows that it's not real. He knows it's fake. So I want you to listen to the two of them here because they give it away. They give away what, what their differences are here. And again, objectively speaking, it can't be both. So which is it? Are we going to believe the mainstream narrative that the flu is real, strains are real, all these variants are real, all these weird names they give them and numbers and initials and whatever else? Are we believing all of that nonsense? Or are we believing what Larry Pilevsky says, which is it's just poison? So give this a listen. What I wanted to say, based on what you were saying, is please watch your kids. Please protect your kids. Um, the, 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 there's more and more evidence coming out about these shots not having anything to do with mRNA, which if you remember way back in one of our five docs or many of our five docs, 
I said, please don't focus on mRNA. Please don't focus on spike protein. I believe there's much more in these shots. And more and more is coming out showing that there may not even be any messenger RNA in these shots. And of course, that leads us back to the graphene oxide, which La Quinta Columna did an amazing job with, and um, with, the, with the nanoparticles and the hydrogels. And this stuff is being transmitted from person to person. They've known about it. They've planned it. And if you go back into the literature, you'll see all the stuff about self-spreading vaccines, whatever that means for the purpose of depopulation. So please be careful. Uh, flu shots are going to contain the product that's in the COVID shot. Again, it's not a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. No, they haven't pr approved that one yet, Larry. They have, they've approved the bivalent one, which I, cause I just did a thing on it Monday or Tuesday on my, um, since I didn't do a podcast on Monday morning, I did it on Tuesday. And one of the questions, the things that we talked about was the bivalent COVID vaccine, which is pretty interesting because the COVID, they, they've got uh, one strain of SARS-CoV-2 Wuhan strain that doesn't even exist anymore. And then they've got one of two, now just stop it. That's really rude. Oh, no, no, I'm not talking about that. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm and then, my body needed to dispel the trauma and, of hearing that. So I just went like that. Go ahead. And so then the second strain is either an Omicron strain BA4 or an Omicron strain BA5. So you're not going to know which one it is. And they've never tested these strains together in anybody or even animals. And um, you remember when they, and yet we're going to be giving people COVID bivalent shots for viruses that aren't even around in existence anymore. And they're trying to get the COVID shot and the flu shot together, which they haven't passed it yet, which that will be, in my opinion, an automatic antibody dependent enhancement. People will drop over dead from that shot. Okay. Absolutely drop over dead from that shot because the leaky shot and the other, they just will, it, it will be so bad. And then the, you know, the thing with these, co these bivalent COVID shots, remember Larry back in the day, this was, I don't know, however many years ago, that when they, when they went from the normal trivalent flu shots where they had, you know, two strains of, of, um, of A, influenza A and one of B, and then they decided to add a second strain of B and they went to the quadrivalent ones. How many people got sick and how many times they pulled that formulation on and off the market because that fourth virus somehow made it so much more inflammatory, that virus plus whatever else they had to have in there to attenuate it. They pulled those quadrivalents off a lot until they got it right because now it's mostly quadrivalent flu shots. Um, well, here's three strains of something that's never been tested together and never been tested individually. And yet we're going to put them together. And oh, by the way, you can get your flu shot at the same time. I mean, how much more dastardly does it need to be about killing people before people get that this is just about killing people? I, I don't know. It, it really annoys me. Do you see what I mean? Ten pennies again running with the mainstream narrative. There's variants, there's this, there's that, you know, there's all these different strains, and finally, well, they got the flu strain correct, and blah, 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 blah. Now listen to Larry Pilevsky's answer and his response to what she just said, because she doesn't have a retort. She doesn't have any response to what he says. Again, 
When you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. The truth always lies in the explanation that requires the least amount of assumptions. The more simple it is, the more truthful it is. The more complicated and convoluted the answer is and the explanation is, the more false it is. So now listen to Dr. Pilevsky's answer, because he's 100% right. As it should, as it should annoy everyone, because I don't believe this has anything to do with viruses in the, in the vials. I believe this has everything to do with more poisons in the vials. Uh, and, you know, remember the rumblings that happened around the fall of 2019, where the flu shots supposedly contained the graphene oxide and the hydrogels. So the, the, the whole idea that this is a vaccine against a, a bacterial or a viral infection, I think, has proven over the years, especially with COVID, to be a farce. And so I believe that this is not about playing an attempt to protect you against an organism. This is an attempt to poison you. And, you know, one of the, when, when um, Ty Bollinger uh, interviewed me for, and I know you were interviewed as well, for the truth about vaccines, uh, he asked me about the flu shot. And I said, people don't get the flu when they get the flu shot. People get sick because they're getting rid of poisons that were injected into their body from the flu shot. That's why the body gets sick. It doesn't get sick because some virus is caught by your nose. I mean, you are never not exposed to genetic material of microorganisms. You get sick because your body needs to purge a whole lot of poisons that you either inhaled ingested or injected or absorbed. And I, I think that I think that whatever whatever viral material that there may be is a distraction from what material really is in these shots. And that's what's helped me because over the years, you know, I've wondered how do you get kids who completely lose speech, eye contact, uh, socialization, self-control, self-regulation, pain thresholds? How do you get that? There's got to be something so serious that's being absorbed into their brains. And if you remember back, if you look at the, the whole thing about nanoparticles and emulsifiers like polysorbate 80, they are specifically designed to target certain brain tissue when used to get drugs into the brain. So I'm sorry, but this idea that we're being injected against a microorganism is, is and has come to really be my great understanding. It has nothing to do with preventing infection and has everything to do with limiting your immune system's ability to have any strength at all, if not to destroy your immune system. So I think we're going to come to the same conclusion, whether we're talking about strains of viruses or not, because this has been a multi-decade attempt to kill the human race and disable the human race.
because we've had the retrospectoscope to see it. And this is, again, where Dr. Tenpenny doesn't ask further questions. I mean, she just doesn't. They've, they've all met together on Rumble uh, endless times, 100-plus episodes, where even Dr. Lee Merritt, as you've heard me mention her on, on this show and play her audio before again, she knows that viruses aren't real. Pilevsky knows the same thing. Made knows the same thing. It's like, and Northrop knows the same thing, but it's Tenpenny who seems to be on the, a, a bit slow on the uptake, so to speak, when it comes to all of this. She's repeating the mainstream narrative of all of these variants, and it seems confusing to her. Pilevsky gives her the truthful answer, and she has no answer. She just goes, well, it's just evil. It's just all evil. Yes, it certainly is. But you have to understand the false story that makes it evil, because that's the real problem. So there's that audio I wanted to play for you, because again, that pretty much lays it out as clear as it can be laid out. That even the individuals, again, who are working together for the good of humanity, so to speak, are at odds with one another. This next thing, however, I think continues to prove that uh, even the dead asleep and the criminals are waking up a little bit to some of this. This was in the Epoch Times, and I wanted to mention this because this is, again, brand new for the most part, but it's a nice little summary of, uh, of the research article, certainly with plenty of bullet points. And it's titled, Unethical, quote-unquote, and up to 98 times worse than the disease. Top scientists publish paradigm-shifting study about COVID-19 vaccines. It says the following, quote, A team of nine experts from Harvard, Johns Hopkins, and other top universities has published paradigm-shifting research about the efficacy and safety of COVID-19 vaccines and why mandating vaccines for college students is unethical. This 50-page study was published on the Social Science Research Network at the end of August. Analyzed CDC and industry-sponsored data on vaccine adverse events and concluded that mandates for COVID-19 boosters for young people may cause 18 to 98 actual serious adverse events for each COVID-19 infection-related hospitalization theoretically prevented. It says the paper is co-authored by Dr. Stefan Baral, an epidemiology professor at Johns Hopkins University, Surgeon Martin Adele Macquarie, if I'm saying that right, MD, a professor at Johns Hopkins University known for his books exposing medical malfeasance, including unaccountable, quote unquote, what hospitals won't tell you and how transparency can revolutionize healthcare, along with being authored by Dr. Vinayak Prasad, if I'm saying that right, a hematologist oncologist who is a professor in the USF. UCSF Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, as well as the author of over 350 academic and peer-reviewed articles. Uh, it's other people too, blah, blah, blah. It says the following, risk disenrollment. It says, as, a study, as the study pointed out, students at University of America, at universities rather, in America, Canada, and Mexico are being told that they must have a third dose of vaccines against COVID-19 or be disenrolled. 
Unvaccinated high school students who are just starting college are also being told the COVID-19 vaccines are mandatory, quote-unquote, for attendance. These mandates are widespread. There are currently 15 states which continue to honor philosophical personal belief exemptions and 44 states in Washington, D.C. allow religious exemptions to vaccines. But even in these states, private universities are telling parents that they will not accept state-recognized vaccine exemptions. Based on personal interviews with some half-dozen families, the Epoch Times has learned that administrators at some colleges and universities are informing students that they have their own university-employed medical teams to scrutinize and medical scrutinize rather rather the medical exemptions submitted by students and signed by private doctors. These doctors' families are being told will decide whether the health reasons given are medically valid. It says five ethical arguments against mandated boosters, and I'm just going to read the five, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Shouldn't surprise anybody. It says the following, quote, number one, a lack of policymaking transparency. The scientists pointed out that no formal and scientific rigorous risk-benefit analysis of whether boosters are helpful in preventing severe infections and hospitalizations exists for young adults. You don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. And this, again, brings up a larger point, which I'll mention at the end of this list. Number two, expected harm. A look at the current available data shows that mandates will result in what the authors call a net expected harm, quote-unquote, to young people. This expected harm will exceed the potential benefit from the boosters. Number three, lack of efficacy. The vaccines have not effectively prevented transmission of COVID-19, period. Given how poorly they work, the authors call this, quote-unquote, modest and transient effectiveness, unquote. The expected harms caused by the boosters likely outweigh any benefit to public health. Number four, the recourse for vaccine-induced young adults. Forcing vaccinations as a prerequisite to attend college is especially problematic because young people injured by these vaccines will likely not be able to receive compensation for their injuries. And number five, mandates, the authors insisted, ostracize unvaccinated young adults, excluding them from education and university employment opportunities. Coerced vaccination entails, quote, major infringements to free choice of occupation and freedom of association, unquote, the scientists wrote, especially when, quote, mandates are not supported by compelling public health justification, unquote. It says the consequences of noncompliance, including being unenrolled, losing internet privileges, losing access to the gym and other athletic facilities, and being kicked out of campus housing, among other things. These punitive approaches, according to the authors, have resulted in unnecessary psychosocial stress, reputation damage, loss of income, and fear of being deported, to just name a few. Unquote. How about death? How about that one? How about pers- uh, permanent injury to these individuals and death? 
Ladies and gentlemen, the article just goes on and on and on here. Uh, 22,000 to 30,000 previously unaffected young adults must be vaccinated to prevent just one hospitalization. That's another giant bullet point they have. Mandated booster shots cause more harm than good. Another one. And it says, may the force be with brave scientists. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Here's my final point. You don't have to be a scientist to know this. You don't have to rely on scientists to know this. It's basic dot connection, pattern recognition, and the ability to recognize when you've been lied to. That's it. You've heard me say this a million times. We have to be our own doctors. We have to be. We cannot rely on the words of scientists when they happen to figure it out at a particular time and choosing of their time and choosing. We're years after all of this. The shots have already had their damage. The FDA has already come out. You've heard me mention this, but the FDA, FDA rather, has already come out as of September 9th with their uh, recharging your immunity picture. As if to say that if you're three shots deep and you're feeling weak, that's because you need to recharge your immunity with another COVID booster. Tenpenny was right. They want you dead. That's the whole scheme here. Keep inoculating yourself and your children until you're dead. And then you won't figure out why. Reach, hashtag recharge your immunity, it says. Again, you heard me mention that based on radio ads that they keep playing. Recharge your immunity like you recharge your cell phone. When your cell phone runs out of power, you need to get a booster shot. Just like plugging in your cell phone, getting a booster shot is going to recharge your immunity. Said no one with a brain. With all of that said, and the casualties that do exist in war, I am optimistic in that I know that the Patriots are in control regarding a lot of positive things. Too many coincidences. The Queen of England dies exactly, or publicly, I should say. She's been dead for a long time. I know I'm shifting gears here to close out this episode, but bear with me. Exactly uh, 1,776 days from the first Q post to the day that the Queen is said to be dead, 1776 days. What are the odds of that? From the start of COVID on, the, on March 11th to the day that the queen is told, uh, or that we are told that the queen is dead, is exactly 911 days, 9-11. There are certainly good guys in charge, and there are certainly numerous psychological operations taking place. There are also casualties in war. So it doesn't mean that we just sit around and do nothing. I don't think anyone ever suggested that. If people misinterpreted, again, all of those cue drops and a lot of other things that way, I would say that's, that was their fault. They misinterpreted that. It doesn't mean sit around and do nothing. It means quite the opposite. It means get your ass in gear and start to figure things out. So let's keep paying attention to the trends. Let's keep paying attention to the patterns and uh, keep paying attention to the people around you and the things that are going on. 
and the stories that you're hearing. Again, I'm hearing a bunch of different stories of of people getting sick. Again, when 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 they wouldn't have normally gotten sick, um, cancers, people passing away, a number of different a number of different things that I'm hearing from a number of different people, and uh, I just think this is going to continue to ramp up. In particular, of course, with the seasons changing and people being driven inside more often, uh, this is this is going to increase with time. And of course, we're getting closer to the election, so heads on swivels to say the least, ladies and gentlemen. I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.